Thank you, youth choir. Y'all sound fabulous. And I'm here on Sunday afternoons. They have a great time. If you have a student not involved, they take a big trip in the summer and do mission activities. And it's kind of a leadership group within our youth group. It is a great thing to be a part of. Uh, even if singing isn't your favorite thing, it's a great thing to be a part of. Turn Galatians chapter 5, when the Spirit reigns. When the Spirit reigns. What attributes would you seek to possess? What adjectives would you like to be connected to your name? Maybe in Western culture, we'd say beauty or being beautiful or, or handsome, being physically attractive. Would that be an attribute that you would choose if you could only choose a few? Of course, the problem with beauty is that it always fades, doesn't it? Name me the last time a senior citizen was crowned Miss America. Name me one time that ever happened. It, it hasn't and it never will. Beauty fades. Perhaps you would pick intelligence and say, well, I'm, I'm wise enough that I, I don't care about beauty. It fades, but intelligence, I, I would like to be really bright, if not beautiful, and I like for my children to be really bright. Well, in fact, new research is telling us that EI is more important than IQ. Probably when you're in grade school, we all took an IQ test, maybe the Stanford Binet test. It measured logic and language skills, but really failed to measure the important things. In fact, no less authority than Harvard professor of psychology, Daniel Goleman, who's written a book that explains why EI, emotional intelligence, is more important than IQ or smarts. EI deals with interpersonal skills, intrapersonal skills. People with a high EI can recognize their own emotions, can read the emotions of others in the room. They make good team players because they can ascertain how everybody around them is feeling and they know how to speak to people. And well, at Bell Labs, lots of engineers and lawyers and really smart financiers well, they discovered in a recent outcome that those with the highest IQ made good fiscal analysts or legal consultants, but it was the high EI that ended up as the CEO or the brilliant trial lawyer. Well, so if you're picking attributes, we probably would have failed already. We might have picked beauty or we might have picked smarts, but the reality is there are better things to choose. In fact, we can't do a lot about our beauty, can we, or a lot about our intelligence, but the attributes, the fruit today are available to all. They are the gifts that are worth giving. He begins in 517 by presenting two different ways of walking. For the flesh sets a desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition one another so that you may not do the things that you please. We can walk according to the flesh, or we can let the Spirit reign in our lives and walk according to the presence of Christ's Spirit within us. In fact, he starts by giving us a list of the attributes of the godless, those who are 
reigned in their own spirit by their old nature, their old Adam. There's this war that takes place in all of us between the abiding spirit of God and the old nature of Adam. He starts with this list that are the deeds of the flesh. In verse 19, he begins that list. Let's look at the bad fruit first. Well, the the first three are sexual immorality, immorality, impurity, and sensuality. The second ones deal with pagan worship, idolatry, and sorcery. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, those are really bad things. I don't personally, I'm not worried about sexual immorality. I got that one down pat and I'm worshiping on the right day in the right place. And so I'm not worried about pagan worship. And we feel pretty good about ourselves until we realize the next category, the third category that shows that Adam is ruling in our lives rather than the second Adam, the Christ and his spirit are attributes that deal with broken relationships. Maybe you skip the first two categories, but look at these. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. That's the largest category of evil comes from the way we treat each other in our broken relationships. Well, there's a a fourth category, sins of intemperance. Notice verse 21 drunkenness and carousing, and in case he's left your sin out, and he says, and things like these. All of these are signs that we're walking not in Christ, but rather we are walking in the flesh. Well, don't walk that way, he says. Look at verse 22. But, those are the bad things, but the fruit of the Spirit. These are the fruits that are worth finding. He gives us nine attributes. And as I go over each attribute, I want you to think of someone in this church or someone that you work with who exudes this attribute. When you think about this quality or this fruit of the Spirit, well, it reminds you of her or reminds you of him. The first one is love, notice. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is most described. If you had to pick one word, this is the word. God is most described by the word love. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9 says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than the other people, speaking to ancient Israel. For you were the fewest of all people, but the Lord loved you. And kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. And the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, therefore, know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, he is faithful, he keeps his covenant, his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him. The Lord chose to love us. In fact, you think to the Johannine epistles to 1 John 4, 7. What does it say? It's quite direct. God is love. And therefore, we ought to what? Love one another. God is love. Think even now that person you think just exudes love. 
Aren't those the two first and great commandments, to love God with everything that you have? And secondly, Jesus says, to love your neighbor as yourself. If the Spirit is reigning in our lives, we will be people of love. There's a second one. Notice joy. This is the good fruit, the attribute of joy. Romans 14, 17, Paul writes, For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is a state of mind that occurs to us when everything is going our way. When we're healthy and wealthy and wise, when we feel good about our journey in life, then we have happiness. Our joy is not based on our outside circumstances. Our joy is based on our position in Jesus. Our joy is based not on what's happening in our lives, but what has already happened in the life of our Christ and our secure position in Him. Jesus says in John 15 that we are to abide. He is the vine and we are the branches so that his joy might remain in us and that our joy might be made full. Joy occurs not because everything is going our way in life. In fact, joy is there in the worst of moments because of who we are in Jesus. Joy. Think of somebody, you always want to be around him or her. They are always full of joy. Full of joy. A new parish church opened up, upper middle class suburb. Sunday mornings in the immediate neighborhood were no longer as quiet as they used to be. There were cars coming and going and parking in front of the houses, the closing of car doors, and, well, they were singing hymns, and there was an organ that was playing, and, well, people started to petition to stop the worship, at least tone it down in this new church in the suburb because, well, they like sleeping in on Sunday morning, some of these well-to-do neighbors, and it was bothering their sleep, all of this singing and and praises and joy. When they got to the Jewish man, they thought for sure he had signed a petition to shut up the Christians and their loud worship. And he said, oh, oh, no. These people sing as though they think the Messiah has really arrived. And if I thought that, I'd bother you not one day of the week, but every day of the week. Do you worship even on your hard weeks with joy? There's another fruit. Number three is peace. Who do you think about when I say peace? He walks into the room. She walks into the room. Just their presence. Everybody gets along. They bring peace. Shalom, the peace of God. Romans 14, 19, let us pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. Peace for Paul is not just an individual attribute. It is a community. It is a corporate. It is a church attribute. That 
together amongst us and the brotherhood, the community, that we have peace. The fruit of the Spirit, the peace of God. We know that person who brings peace into a room. We know that person who brings strife into a room. He comes in, she comes in, they remind the people sitting there how different they are and how they really are enemies and how they ought to claim their place and take their credit. The next thing you know, there's strife. In Oak Ridge, Tennessee, two boys in their backyard, their family garden, found a two-headed black snake. Now you picture that, if you will. They donated it wisely to the University of Tennessee where this two-headed black snake was well, it was observed for a year. It was fed a mouse twice a month. And, well, Professor Gordon Burkhart said at the University of Tennessee, it's the strangest thing. You give it one mouse, one head would get the tail end, one the head end, and they would struggle for hours and wouldn't be able to consume the mouse. You would have to take the mouse away from one of the heads and let the other head eat it for them to be able to be strong. Now, the odd thing about this, it didn't matter which head ate the mouse, the body of the snake was strengthened and the nourishment came to the snake. But you had to forcefully separate the heads because instead of building up the body, they were worried each head about getting its own. Well, there's a fourth attribute, patience. Now, I have to work on this one. Patience, patience. Reminded me in June of 1998. It was traumatic for me. I remember it, June 1988. It was a Thursday evening. I was working on my sermon. I'd gone to bed about 2 a.m., about 3 a.m., 1998. Seven-year-old, my oldest daughter, was standing right by my bed. You know when you have kids, you can just feel that presence, you know? You just feel it. I felt her there. She was standing there, and I'd been in bed about one hour of sleep. And she said, with all the horror in the world, there's an ant in my room. <laughs> okay. I get up, I go to her bedroom, and it's not in the bed. It's on the curtain. I couldn't find the ant. I wasn't real patient about it. I said, I can't find the ant. I've been in bed about one hour. Go back to bed, forget about the end. About 30 minutes passed, and I felt that little body standing in the right exact same place, and she said, matter of factly, the ant's back. <laughs> the ant's back. I get up out of the bed. Well, no, no, this time what I did, I said to Lisa, uh, she, Lisa has irrational fears of insects. I don't, ha I don't have any patience with irrational fears. I mean, if there's a lion in your bedroom, you wake me up. And we'll run together. But I, I said, you, you taught her that. You go find the ant. <laughs> and she went, and she couldn't find the ant either. So we relocated the child into what we guaranteed the child was an ant-proof room and put her to bed in that room. The next day, I said, Ryan, Daddy is very tired at this time of the week, and he likes to rest a little bit on Friday mornings, get ready for a wedding on Saturday, a funeral on Saturday, whatever it was that week, and getting ready for the day of Sunday. And I said, don't ever wake me up about an ant again. If you wake me up at that time of bed, it better be a six-foot-tall gorilla with four-foot fangs. I mean, 
irrational fears. Patience. It's hard for me sometimes. Patience. We learned in James, it's macrothumia, isn't it? It is long-suffering, slow to be angry, slow to be angry, to be patient. God is patient with us, Paul says in Romans 2, 4. Or you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and the forpatience of God, the forbearance of God and the patience of God, knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. To be like God is to love. To be like God is to have joy. To be like God is to bring peace in the room. If the Spirit is reigning within you, you're a person of peace in the body of Christ. And to be like God is to be patient. When I said patient, who thought about your name? Are you patient? There's another fruit of the Spirit. Number five is kindness. Kindness. Now, patience is sort of the the passive side of godliness. Kindness is the active side of godliness. Kindness is showing. Showing the love of God by the way we treat others. Thomas Carlyle said, a great man shows his kindness by the way he treats little men. Are you nice to those with money? Well, so is the world. No surprise. Are you nice to those with power? So is the world. No surprise. You cannot measure kindness only in the way you treat others who can bring you nothing. How do you respond to those who can bring you nothing? God's people are kind. Number six is goodness. Goodness is a general attribute of those who walk in the light and do not walk in darkness. Romans 15, 14. And concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and also able to admonish one another. The seventh fruit is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Cal Ripken Jr., the Baltimore Orioles all-star shortstop, was chasing Lou Gehrig's record for the most baseball games played consecutively. Now, this is remarkable. Cal Ripken Jr. started playing baseball professionally in 1982, this streak. He did not miss a baseball game from 1982 to 1998. He played straight 2,000. 632 games. And they asked him, don't you get sore and tired and sick like everybody else? He said, almost every game. But he's faithful. He's there. The great superstars of faith are not those with the most talent, but rather those who show up week after week. The next fruit is is gentleness. Jesus describes himself in Matthew 11 as being gentle and humble in heart. Are you gentle? It's the image of a mother, but it's also the way Jesus describes himself. You know how a mother might be with a child. Are you gentle with those in the body of Christ? And the last one, I call it the tomato of the fruit, is self-control. Do you have self-control? Do you allow the Spirit of God to reign in your life in such a way when the deeds of the flesh come tempting that you can say no? 
love. Who do you think of for? He's always giving love. Joy. Love to run into her in the hallway because she's a joy. Peace. Tranquil. Patience. Do not think of my name on that one. Patience. Kindness. Actively, not just, not passive, but active. Goodness, so walking in the light that you say, man, he is good, she is good. Faithfulness to people that are here Sunday after Sunday, and every time you unlock the doors, they're, they're here, faithful. Gentleness, the opposite of braggadocious, gentle. And then self-control. If the Spirit of Christ reigns within us, then that's what life should look like. In fact, tonight in our study on James, the list is, is kind of there, too, in the book of James. You, we ask ourselves, how do I know if I got life right? What will I look like? What will I be like? How will I know if I have a Am I getting there? I'm on the right journey. I'm making my way towards the right goals. How will I know if the Spirit of God is reigning in my life? Well, you got them right there. This is it. This is what matters. Do you exude love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self Control. When I ask people to think about names, could anyone have thought about your name? One of those? When I said faithfulness, did they, could they use your life as an example? Faithfulness? When I said joy, could they think of you as a person of joy? Have you allowed the Spirit of God to reign in your life in such a way that who you're becoming looks like these attributes? Look how he finishes in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, then we've got to walk by the Spirit. It's one thing to teach it, preach it, say it. If we live by the Spirit, if we worship in the Spirit, we must also walk in the Spirit. Let us pray. God, so many times we chase the wrong goals. We live our whole lives stretching and reaching for the wrong thing. Oftentimes we push our children towards the wrong goals. What if we raise children in the faith who are kind and gentle 
loving, and patient. What if we walked like that? How much easier would it make for our children to be men and women of goodness as they grow up? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.